Small Business Focus on The Money Show. Pavlov with TDs. If you can't sell, then don't bother going into business. No, no, that's not entirely true. It's not entirely true. Because in many instances, when you look at new businesses that start up, there typically is more than one party involved. Okay. And if you're really super smart, Bruce, you're going to figure out where your talents and your strengths lie. You'll concentrate on them. And hopefully you'll find someone who has balancing features or talents. So, for example, you know, I heard you speaking a little bit earlier about a new app that's been developed. There are typically two people involved in that kind of industry. There's going to be someone who's very forward-facing, market-facing, who has the ability to sell. But then there's also going to be someone who's technically superlative at creating the apps to make them work. But in order to make it work, you do need to have uh, – to be the person in charge of the project, you need to understand the technological principles, what's required, what the customers need. You've got to have done all the work. If you're going to be starting a small business and if you are uh, the big cheese of yourself um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and most small businesses, let's face it, start out with one person in the back bedroom or in the garage or under a tree somewhere doing what you do best, which is running your backside off and getting the job done. Under those circumstances, if you can't sell yourself, your product, your service, whatever it might be, you are doomed because you're never going to get employee number two to come in and join you. Very hard. And you know the irony is that in order to create a product, you've got to be technically proficient at whatever it is that the product's going to be. So if you're going to be in the food industry and you know nothing of food, you equally are unlikely to succeed. If you're going to be in the tech industry and you know nothing about programming, and so it goes. And typically, people who are technically proficient in something often are not the most natural salespeople. They often sit back and say, but hang on, look at all the features of this thing. What is wrong with you? Why aren't you buying it? It must be you. Yeah, why don't you love what I do? Exactly. Okay. Very so, much so. All right, sell me something. To the point that, how oh, these customers are stupid. Yes, customers They really they, don't get it. They know nothing. Okay, so, so I don't know. What, what do you fancy selling me? Okay, let's sell you something that I really know very little about. Okay. I've worn one probably... 15 times in life. You're not going to sell me underpants. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. No, no, no. (laughs) Those are fairly common. All right. In terms of wearing. Okay. Okay. Fairly. Fresh every day. All right. More more detail that we need to know. Okay. (laughs) All right. I'm going to sell you a tie. Well, a necktie. Yeah, a necktie. Okay. You wear them, don't you? You have from, to. From time to time, in television work, one needs to look as if one knows what one's doing, so one puts on a tie. Mm. It covers up a myriad of sins. Mm, exactly. Okay. So I'm going to sell you a tie. So, okay, so you know nothing about ties. You've worn them 15 times since you left school, um, only to mostly sad events, I suspect. Um, we have to show some level of modicum of respect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know nothing about ties, and you're going to try and sell me that paisley tie. Okay, so let's start looking at how I'm going to approach the sale. The already, first thing, already you've got my backup because it's Paisley. Well, no, you offered it to be Paisley. So I'm not going to go with just a Paisley tie. If I'm going to be a tie salesman and I'm selling you a tie, the first thing I'm going to start looking at in terms of myself before I approach you are the features of a tie. So what are the features? There's width. There's a three-inch three width. There's a five-inch width. There's a one-inch width. The widths vary. That's a feature. It's a physical, quantifiable feature of the tie. Okay, what's fashionable right now? Well, it's going to depend who you are. Okay, but you're sending it. But we haven't me. got there yet. Uh, okay. So the next thing I'm going to do before I make my sales approach to you is I'm going to look at another feature. 
Ties have color. They've got different kinds of fabric. The way that the fabric's cut influences how the tie falls. There's length in a tie. And so it goes. So the first thing I've gone and done is I've looked at my array of ties and I've looked at the features and I'm familiar with what the features are. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say, well, if there's a feature, what is the benefit going to be? And the relevant benefit is going to depend on who you are. So let's look at someone in your situation. You're a journalist. You're a professional. You work both on radio, in print, on television. Radio and print, not relevant in terms of tie. In television, very relevant in ties. You conduct speaking events. You do keynote addresses. Different audience. Now I'm starting I'm to get a sense. I'm not wearing that tie in front of a keynote audience. You must be joking. Okay. <laughs> not the Paisley one. No, certainly not. not. Okay. So the way then I start selling it the tie. It does look like it's been cut from your granddad's pajamas, by the way. It, <laughs> if it's a Paisley tie. And that's why I would never, having understood what you do, and having understood how you see yourself and live your life within your professional capacity, I would never offer you a Paisley tie. So throw it away then. I've thrown that one out. Thank goodness. So the first time pulling out is going to be a tie that's a three-inch tie. So why three inches? Because my first proposition to you is going to be, Bruce, this tie is classic and professional. In other words, it's timeless. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to offer you a bold color tie. It won't have a pattern of any sort. But the moment you have a pattern tie in television, it gets all fuzzy. And for a viewer, that creates a terrible experience. It detracts from the face. It's a positive thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get there. Okay. We're going to get to the face. Oh, dear. The all next right. thing I'm going to look at is what kind of knot would you typically tie? So if you're going to tie, let's say, a Windsor knot, then ideally the tie should have a strong silk component to it mm-hmm. because the way that it falls from the knot creates a straight line. And on television, you want to appear symmetrical. Appear, yes. Appear. <laughs> exactly. And then finally, Bruce, the reason why I think you should take this great tie is because it's both modern, it says it's upbeat, it doesn't make you the new kid on the block, it certainly doesn't make you look like the grey beard, but it does make you look seven years younger. I'll take two. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Pablo Vettini is telling us how to sell ties this evening, but there's a deeper message to it. It's not just about the tie. Would you buy the tie? 011-883-0702-021-446-0567. Pablo Vettini is taking us through the the impact and the ability to sell. And when it comes to to selling, it's not necessarily about the product, but it's about how you approach the sale that is so absolutely important. Uh, Pablo wouldn't know a tie if one was tied around his neck. Um, He really wouldn't. He doesn't wear the things. But he is trying to convince us this evening evening that the tie can be used as a, a, a universal description of anything that you want to sell. 011-883-0702-021-446-0567. We're talking selling tonight with a tie. Leon and Somerset West, give me your perception of sales. I just wanted to mention that, you know, how many times I walk into a retailer shop, you know, it, it varies. It can be a car a retailer, it can be a, a, a clothing retailer, and you, you land up with a salesperson who who doesn't know the product, you know, and and it's the biggest turnoff if the person, you know, I just think if, if, if retailers take a bit of time to train the salespeople 
I think your 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 guest is brilliant. I mean, I, I would have bought by half. I would have bought half a dozen of those ties. But but, but, but you've never and you haven't worn a tie in five years. But you buy Pablo's it, ties. Exactly, because <laughs> you know it seems yeah. like he knows his client. He sees like he knows his his his, um, his ties. He knows what you would be looking for. He he, anticip- he anticipates what 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 the client would would buy and what would suit the client. And I mean, that's, that's, that's what you need. Leon, you're, you're so spot on. And I'm, I'm going to dis Levi's just for a second because you go into a specialist Levi shop um, and you go and you say, what pair of Levi's would suit me best? And inevitably the salesperson goes, oh, the 501s. There are, I don't know how many tens of Levi designs from 521s and 502s and 305s and whatever there might be. There are lots of different designs and lots of color palettes and all that sort of stuff. But somebody has has implanted 501 and Levi's brain, and that's all you get offered. And you're going, I once bought a pair, you know, in Canada, the whatever whatever model number, and they're going, no, not possible. No, computer says no. And you're just like, you know what? That's why Woolies is there. And and off you go. <laughs> you know, and it's so, so distressing. Leon, you're spot on on that particular front. I like your question, Trevor and Melville. Make Pablo's evening uncomfortable. Basically, you know, I mean, what if that is tied too expensive to afford and, and, and I can't afford that tie, but I really want that tie. So you want and the I tie. Need you, you need the tie. You want the tie, but it's silky and it's too expensive, Trevor and Melville. How do you get around that one, Pablo? Well, we never spoke about a pricing policy for Trevor. Trevor, it's available for rent. <laughs> Come on, you're not going to rent out a tie. Why not? Because people spill their soup on ties, you can never get the blood and stains out. Trust me, I would have covered. Yeah, but if you think about it, ties come into fashion, go out of fashion, so do colours. Why make a big investment in a silk tie if probably there's a likelihood next year it's out of fashion? Simply come in and swap it out. There we go. That's an interesting concept, Trevor. Jean Pierre Midrand. Oh, please turn your radio down, Jean Pierre. That's off. Thank you. Your, okay. Hello. Your question. Yes, I just wanted to know, Pablo's talking about selling something. What when you need to sell a service? Okay, so whether you are a, a tax advisor or, sorry, jump a noisy line, a tax advisor or you are a shopping consultant or somebody selling an intangible, uh, I don't know what value it's going to bring to me. Are, are the rules the same? The rules are exactly the same. So, Jean-Pierre, t- take, for example, let's think of a personal trainer. If a personal trainer sees you, they're going to make, if they're good at selling, if they understand the business they're in, they're going to do a couple of things. They know what the features of their product are. The features are going to be exercise, there will be some machines, there will be some routines, there will be some diets. But if you walk in and you are, say, for example, 20 kilos overweight, or if you walk in and say, for example, you're 10 kilos underweight, or if you walk in and let's say you're 25 as opposed to 75, if they don't do an assessment of what they believe your set of circumstances are, the way that they sell the service, in other words, the benefits of what you can enjoy as a result of buying what they're selling. If they get that wrong, there's no sale to be made. Mm. So, for example, in a service or a product, you're always selling the benefit of having consumed that service or product. Exactly the same strategy. Okay, you, you you like to define these things. You like to distill them down to your to five or three. Give me three. Give me three guidelines when it comes to the the universal secrets of selling. It saves me having to read a big fat book. Okay, I'm going to start off with the two least important ones and end off with the most important okay. one. The first thing you do when you have your product or service is you've got to break it up into its features, Bruce. 
Like you did with the ties. Like, like I did with yeah. the ties. It needs to be quantifiable. It needs to be measurable. It needs to be fact-based. Right. And I'll give you an example. So on a camera, that would be 10 megapixels. On a phone, it would be a 12-hour battery life. On a tin of beans, it would be 350 grams. So all of those are quantifiable. If you're a tax, if, if you're a tax consultant, it's on the amount of money that you've managed to get back from SARS for other clients. That's no, that's moving ah, towards a benefit. If okay. you're a tax consultant, it's going to be a demonstration of your knowledge of South African tax law. Okay. Okay. And hopefully behind that, you're going to have some qualifications, etc. That starts to suggest that it's quantifiable. You've been through a program where you've understood the tax law and there you have it. <coughs> the next thing you're going to do is you're going to then look and say, well, given the fact that I have all these features, how do I assess what the benefits are of these features? And if I go to it, a benefit is something that gives a result. It's an output. It's the impact of something. So if it's a 10 megapixel camera, maybe one of the benefits would be for the amateur photographer, it gives you a more professional picture. If it's the long life phone, maybe it would be for the busy, the busy executive, the mobile executive, you'll never run out of air, mm. air power. Okay. And if it's a tin of beans of 350 grams, well, maybe it might be it can feed a family of three or feed a family of four. Your kids won't go hungry. Mm. So you start to look at the features and that getting that process right and matching the two in a matrix of some sort is an important feature to understand what you do in any event. And then we move on to the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And this is where, as entrepreneurs, we constantly go so wrong. When you start a business, you're in the grip of fear. Because that's a terrifying exercise. You're so encouraging, you know. But it's true. Yes. And it takes ages to shed this fear. Because you're busy thinking, how do I pay my rent at the end of this yeah. month? The likelihood that you've got good money behind you is poor. Because until you've proven that you've got a product or service that can sell, it's hard to raise the money. So mostly you're starting with very little, if anything at all. And that builds a certain emotion in you as an entrepreneur. So what happens is you try and be everything to everyone. And you get stuck in this space where you eventually become nothing to anyone. Yeah. And when you're there, Bruce, you sell hard. You push features. You get frustrated with the market. The most important thing in selling is to turn around and say, hang on a minute, that tin of baked beans, I know its features and I know the benefits for an athlete. I know the features and I know the benefit for a mom of six kids. And I know the features and I know the benefit for vegetarian. So when I meet you for the first time, the first three, four questions I athletic, ask. Are you an athletic mum of six kids who's a vegetarian? <laughs> then you have a very unusual creature. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but so you match the benefits to whoever that customer is. If you don't approach selling that way, you're going to find it to be quite a hard road. There we go. I like it very, very much. Um, a very quick one, and it's going to make you mad, but this person needs to hear what you have to say about this particular SMS. I've been running my own business for the last six years, doing my own marketing, admin, selling, etc. I decided to say small to avoid all of the red tape uh, of having more than a one-person business. But I've got a one-person business. I'm still going strong. I don't need the hassle of red tape, SARS, UIF, staff issues, etc. I'm turning over a good 100,000 rand per month. I'm a happy business owner. Look, my only comment to that is you're a happy business owner, 
but I really hope that you put money aside to build your asset wealth outside of your business. Because in effect, you don't have a business. You've created a job for yourself. And that is what I was hoping you would say. Because you, you keep talking about us creating an asset of value, something that you can sell one day um, that will generate wealth for your own retirement or for you when you can't work anymore or wealth for future generations. If you're doing this and you're running on the treadmill, the moment you twist your ankle, mm-hmm. your business, your job is no longer there for you um, in, to act as there's no annuity income stream. There. There's nobody there's there to pick, up the, to, to pick up the slack. And that is the biggest risk you face as the one-person happy business owner. You need good insurances and you need a solid debit order that goes into, as Warren would say, a Satrix or a Swix or Sfix or whatever it might be every into single a, month. Into an indecent, indecent investment to provide you with that personal insurance cover um, that you just don't have. If you've got a business that employs five or six people, people can pick up the slack and carry things for you. It may not be perfect, but sure, it's better than having your, the entire rug pulled out from underneath you um, as, as, as you get sick or something goes wrong. I certainly believe so. Pavlo Fatidi is from Auric Business Incubator, as always, with sound guidance on a Thursday night on Small Business.